from training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 81. A very happy Thanksgiving goes out to everyone. Really appreciate your support as we've rattled through these first 80 episodes um, and have a great guest for this next one, um, a guy who's been with us for this. is now his seventh off-season training at CSP Florida. He actually trained with us at CSP Florida before our first facility was even finished. Um, really good story of perseverance in the face of a collection of different injuries to get to the big leagues and, and also you know, a really great learning experience to figure out what made him a big leaguer and how to leverage it best uh, to be successful and and prolong his career. So awesome guy, awesome episode with with lots of really good insights. So we're excited for it. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas, energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's the zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based, sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or added sugar. Um, Really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, Personally, I love it for, for obviously, our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, On a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, We split our time between two states, and and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, So life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens uh, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, They've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Today's guest is a right-handed relief pitcher who played his college baseball at Barry University in Florida. The Marlins drafted him in the 16th round of the 2003 draft. Following a successful 2017 minor league season and winter ball experience, he was selected in the Rule 5 draft by the Minnesota Twins. While he made his Major League debut in April of 2018, he was returned to the Marlins where he eventually returned to the big leagues later that season. He established himself as an MLB regular with Miami in 2019 and then was claimed off waivers by the Rockies prior to the 2020 season. As you'll learn on the show, his slider grades out as one of the best in baseball and he has a lot to teach. Please welcome to the show, Tyler Kinley. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Great to be on, man. Thanks for doing this. Um, 
we've had so many conversations i feel like over the years just in passing but i feel like it's never actually been organized like this where i've i've got some certain things that i want to cover it's always just like kind of day-to-day conversations so um i'm excited to, to learn a little bit more about you after man it's been six years right is this six, six or seventh off season i think this is seven because 14 yeah. would have been the first one yeah and it- feels like that was just yesterday and it's crazy that it's been so many since then no doubt so actually that kind of leads into my first question and i it's actually a little bit more of a story to tell it so i moved down here on september 2nd 2014 um basically to to start this business i had a a wife that was seven months pregnant with twins (laughs) we got to jupiter and on my first day i think it was september 3rd I had three evaluations and you were one of the three and we were in like the shoe box as we call it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the facility was not ready. I think it was, uh, there were about 15 athletes at a time in a, maybe an 800 square foot facility with, with four coaches doing their thing. So we were crammed in there. I can only imagine what you thought walking in there for the first time. Like what the heck am I getting into? But I, I'll never forget during your evaluation, you, you referred to yourself, you were a self-proclaimed red shirt, all American. So uh, t- tell our listeners what that means. Man, I, I was injured for so long that I had to turn a positive sp- uh, spin on it. And with my buddies in college playing with them and they were all first team, all American double uh, or second team, all American and whatnot. And it was like a running joke. Like, yeah, you know, Tyler's never really played. I'm like, yeah, but I'm still a red shirt, you know, injury all American. <laughs> but but here's so we had fun with it. You were still like a 16th rounder. There was obviously a ton of talent there, correct? Yeah, uh, but with zero resume. Yeah. So clear, clearly, Laz Lanis was the the scout that got me for Miami. Clearly, he um, you know believed in something and saw something because I had you know the most minimal resume in, in high school from injuries and college as well. And to sneak into pro ball was mind blowing for me and, and a complete 360. That's awesome. So give us like the, the track record of like, I know you were a catcher and a shortstop and then converted to pitching, correct? So yeah. Came a little bit later. Absolutely. My whole life uh, position player growing up um, could pitch a little bit. And in college or in high school, date back to that. So in high school, um, I had a, an avulsion fracture my sophomore year on my hamstring, mm-hmm. basically chipped part of my pelvis as well, which led into a stress fracture on L5 on my lumbar and my spine. And it just one thing led to another. And, and finally, about senior year of high school, I showed some health. Um, was It was fortunate to get a, an offer to go to Barry University. And next thing you know, that summer, I needed TJ. And Tommy John began my freshman year of college. And then Sophomore year, we went back in and had to do an ulnar nerve transposition. And then junior year, I had a stress fracture on my calcaneus, on my heel. So I, I hadn't uh, played at all and, and collegially. And I just wanted to know, like, can I even compete at this level? You know, am I like, a, am I a guy or yeah. am I like, who's that guy? And, and then uh, just, just snuck in there and, and eventually got healthy through like seven innings. Um my junior year through 30 innings, my senior year DH'd a little bit. And next thing you know, the draft happened. That's unreal. So, and I, I think the, you know, historically like guys like that get written off all too, too easily. And especially now, obviously that there's, there's even fewer rounds with what's gone on the last couple of years. But you know, like the, when you look back on it, like what were, do you, do you see things that unified those injuries? Like, was it, 
you know, just that you were just playing baseball all the time? Was it that, you know, you went through a huge growth spurt and stuff like that happened? Like, as you go back and try to pin your, your finger on it, why is it that you were getting banged up all through high school and college when, you know, your peers weren't? It's a good question. I'm not um, so certain. I know, obviously, I did not have a, a head on my shoulders in terms of training and what it took to take care of myself like I do today, which still evolves, you know, daily at, at this level, as you know. Yeah. Um, but I think it was just a combination of growing. I didn't have a crazy growth spurt, um, which is growing and being involved in, in other sports and in doing so many things that I think I just left a lot of doors open where I was prone to injury at the time and, and was not able to heal or work through those things. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes we see, you know, you see an ulnar nerve transposition after a Tommy John, you know, it's a, it's, it's somewhat of a secondary effect of the surgery where you have an ulnar nerve hypermobility. So it's, it's hard to fault you for, for something like that, obviously, but it's, it's still, you know, ate up a year, unfortunately. But so I'm curious, you know, we obviously started up in the fall of 14, trying to short sort through some of this stuff. And, in that first off season, what were kind of like the the big aha moments for you? I'm always curious about this stuff in retrospect. Like, hey, did this guy think I was a quack? What, what was I talking about? What were the big takeaways for you in kind of that first winter? To be honest, I was so, you know, starstruck in a way in terms of the clients that were there, the, the people that you guys worked with, the knowledge that you guys spoke with, that I was like, this is it. I've, you know, I've found my place. I can finally you know, grow as an athlete, grow as a person. And, you know, I was just all ears and I felt like a sponge those first couple of years, whether it was talking to you guys out on the floor or foam rolling next to, you know, like C-Shack or speaking to those kind of guys. And it was just, I couldn't wait to get back to the gym the next day once it would finish. So that actually like leads me to my next question. So that first off season, you got, you got a chance to back up a big league game in 15. I'll never, I'll never forget this. This is a cool moment. So I want to say it was probably like late February, early March. And you, we had just, we had obviously just been in our first new facility for the first off season. You came by and you're like, Hey, I, I closed the big league game today. I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. And um, I think somebody asked you like, how was the velo? And you just kind of smiled. And I, I think it was, it might've been Scott McGuff or Higgins. It was somebody that was with you. It was like, Hey, tell him. And we had to get it out. You, you threw three straight hundred mile an hour fastballs after never hitting a hundred. Right. Yeah, it was. And if you would have asked me, I would have never told you I threw that hard. That's just how efficient my body was that day. I'd never been above really 96, 97 prior. And all of a sudden, you know, first Saturday in spring training, they came back to me after like, man, you're feeling good today. Are you pumped up for the game? And I was like, well, oh, just trying to throw strikes, you know, trying to close out the game. Guys had a lead. Like, yeah, you're up to 100. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no big deal. Hit 100 a couple times. I was like, no way. And it's tough because you can't get like the the satisfaction of actually seeing it on the radar gun. Because Roger Dean, at least at the time, had kind of a reputation of being like a really slow gun. I know a bunch of guys that couldn't hit ninety on on the Roger Dean gun during spring training, but then you would get the gun from behind the the home plate, and you would actually get the good stuff. Yeah, it, it eliminated looking back there every outing because you never knew what it was going to be. What, what do you think the biggest adjustments were? Like, what, where, where do triple digits come from? Because it's not like you were throwing with non-elite velocity. I mean, you were 97, 98. Where, where do those extra two to three miles per hour? Obviously, there was the, the adrenaline of pitching in a big league game. But did, did you see other things? Were there changes to the delivery, changes to your body, your ability to get to certain positions? What was it that, that stands out in hindsight? Uh, definitely changes. I mean, everything that we work on in our routines from our, our warm up to our lifts, to our, our cool downs, um, 
you know, working as an athlete, we work at such a high percentage already. So to get those extra gains and small percentages is, is that's what, you know, takes us to that, that next level that we're, you know, so far past. And I think that was a big part of it. And I also am a firm believer in the fact that I had so little mileage as a pitcher on my arm and mechanically that even to this day, I, I still have thrown significantly less than a lot of guys who have, you know, played in high school, college and whatnot and pitched this whole time. And I think learning my body, learning my mechanics, trying to, you know, reach that 10,000, 10,000th hour, you know, of mastery. I think I was really, really getting more reps and more reps. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, I can do this. I can, I can throw harder. I've got more. I can clean this up. I can do that. You know, I, when I, when I look back on it and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, like I, one of the things I always think of with you is you're, I mean, you're obviously a great dude, but you're, you're a pensive guy and everyone likes you. So that makes it, it makes it easier for guys to want to mentor you circa 14, 15, 16. Like you were always just a really good listener and you would ask good questions and, and you realize all those guys are good dudes that are willing to take you under their wing. But, you know, if you come in there like guns a blazing and kind of overdo it early on, like the, the willingness to mentorship, to bribe mentorship isn't there quite as much. So I, I feel like you were just a really good student. Does that describe you well, do you think? I think so. I appreciate hearing that. Um, I, I think I'm fortunate because being injured for so long at the collegiate level, I just sat there and watched day in and day out and was able to make so many mental notes on this game on, on relationships, on the community of a team and all of these aspects that I was able to then, you know, read some books about because I'm, I wasn't playing, you know, I had extra time to, to learn. And I think that became addicting to me. That's interesting. So 2015 obviously starts off really, really well. You go out there, you, you know, you, you get 11 saves, you're, you know, you put up a three ERA, you get a bunch of appearances, 2016, you know, kind of starts off in the same way. And it, it seems like from, you know, from basically 15 and 16, you advance to double A AA and triple A and then things kind of flatline. So in 2016, you go up to triple A for eight games and it's like a, you know, nine innings, you know, eight runs allowed. So it's, you get up there, but you just don't stick. What were the things that you feel like you had to correct? Um, like what, what stalled you in triple A as you, as you kind of advanced? I think when I first got up to triple A, I, I kind of pitched my way out of double A, not knowing how I pitched my way out of double A. Mm -hmm. Like I was just kind of chasing fingers and doing some things and, you know, had some velocity and, you know, had a decent slider at the time and was able to kind of get those guys out. And, and when I got up there facing hitters that just had such a more advanced approach, you know, were very easily able to just spit me up and chew me out. And I actually had to, you know, figure out like, wow, if I'm going to do this, I cannot just throw. I can't just be up here on the mound and actually throw. Like, I, I need to have a game plan. I need to attack guys and, and sequence and, and work on my pitches. And it was a big eye opener for me. So 2017 is when you figured it out, right? So tell the story of 2017 because you, you started off in double A, correct? Yeah, it was, you know, I had gone to winter ball, 16, 17, done well down there, closing down there, coming to 17, hoping to go to camp, you know, don't go to major league camp. Um, but then I spent all of my time, there was a joke between me and some of the major league guys that I spent more time in major league camp that year than a lot of guys that got invited. And it was because I was backing up every day, but I never pitched. So I was there all the time, which was great. Needed the meal money. Things were awesome, but I never, I never pitched and never got game ready. So then all of a sudden, um, I break and I go to double A and a little disappointed. I'm like, that's fine. I'll just be the first guy out to triple A and, and do my thing. And instead, I was the first guy sent down to high A. And I hadn't been there in a few years. 
And at that point, I really, I think I discovered myself as a pitcher because I got into a real dark place mentally in terms of back against the wall. They're not giving you the support that I felt like I deserved. Or I need, not that I needed much, but I, I didn't feel like anybody was behind me anymore. And it was kind of like, hey, go to high, go treat it like instructs, like have some fun. Maybe we'll get you some innings later at a higher level. And at that point, I, I kind of turned a corner. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to embarrass the people that are making these decisions. And I'm going to embarrass the guys in this league. And I'm going to do my best to separate myself. And, and I really found out, um, you know, what worked for me and with my pitches, being able to use my fastball, how I wanted to use my slider a lot more. And I wasn't able to fall into the path that I think they were kind of leading me on. And things really started to pick up speed from there. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's an acquired skill in, in professional baseball. Like, especially if you're a really, really nice dude, like the ability to, to tactfully say, Hey, I, I don't agree with that plan. You know, and in this case, obviously you had to go down and just prove that you could do it, but it's a much harder discussion if you're a young guy in the big leagues and isn't confident in, you know, the plan that's given to you. So, you know, how, how did you kind of like re reshape things? You talked about fastball usage changed, um, throwing the slider more like, so what were the, I know you, you even live with, with, with Brian Kaplan, our, our pitching guy, obviously that offseason. Yeah. I know you and you and Cap took some deep, deep dives on things. What were some of the conversations and, and what shaped the changes? Um, I think one of the big things prior to that was there was a, um, the organization that I was with at the time, they didn't really want me using my breaking stuff as often. It was like, you know, fastball, 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 it's got to be down. It's got to be down and away. It's got to be down. I got to be down. And it was harping on that. And I tried for a while to get to that. And I kept getting hurt because I couldn't quite not hurt physically, but hurt on the mound, like statistically, because I couldn't quite do that consistently. And I was like, man, I feel so much better doing this or, or pitching elevated or, or, you know, and so I began to like, you know, what, I'm going to while I'm down here and, and since I'm kind of on an island, like, let's do it my way and kind of figured out a lot of manipulation with my slider, how to use it. And I kind of reverse roles with my pitches instead of being fastball dominant and try to put a guy away with a slider. I was like, I'm going to pitch with my slider like a fastball and then use my fastball like a breaking ball and put guys away that way. And it really gave me a, a tremendous feel for how to manipulate my slider, how to use it to righties, to lefties, front door, back door, back foot. And then it gave me, in turn, gave me better feel on my fastball because my slider mechanics was my best mechanics that, you know, Cap had pointed out to me at that time. And it really allowed me to hone in repetitions in my best mechanics. And now all of a sudden when I'd go back, back to the fastball, it was there and it was where I wanted and, and it was had more life and, um, you know, was able to, to breed some success from that. You know, and it's an interesting one. It's a, it's not a big extension fastball, but it's a ball, a pitch that's above league average and spin rate. Like, and it, it obviously plays up because of the velo. I mean, at the time in, you know, 2017, your average fastball was 96.7. So you, you definitely had the ability to make it work up. But you know, what's interesting is like, that was kind of the time in baseball where we saw, you know, like Scherzer and Kluber won Cy Young's in, in 17, and both of those guys threw fewer fastballs than they ever had in their careers. It was kind of when we started to see this surge of OO breaking balls and things like that to, you know, basically attack or attack hitters differently. So you kind of had to figure it out on your own, unfortunately, but it worked, right? Definitely. And I'm grateful for it because I think it's put me in the position I'm at today in, in terms of confidence in my pitches and ability of my pitches. Nice. And then, so you, you, you carry that through not only the season, I mean, you, you put up a one nine eight with 38 strikeouts and 27 innings in high A 
and then used it to go to winter ball. And, and winter ball was really when you, you basically, you know, proved you could do it against elite hitters. Correct. Yeah. That, that was so much fun that year. And I was so grateful to, to be down in Dominican for a second time. And, um, it was hard for me to get back down there because I had all this high A time now and guys in the Dominican are like, we want four A guys. We want triple A and big league guys. We don't want guys in double A or high A unless you're an Uber prospect. And that wasn't me. Unfortunately, I got down there and really took a step back in terms of worrying about, about results and about stuff like that, that I was so focused on prior in the, in the States to try to get moved up. And I was like, I'm just going to have fun. And I, and I started to, to smile and, and laugh and, and really dive into the culture down there. And, you know, as, as a counter effect, I started off really strong and, and continued to do so. And through like 20 innings, gave up one run, struck out almost like two in an inning. And fortunately I was able to get rule five from there. And it was, you know, incredible. So we talked a little bit about like the, the double A to triple A transition. Um, but then you got, you got rule five by the twins, made your debut with the twins and, um, and then we returned to the Marlins, but then made it up for, you know, nine games later in the year with them. So you, you know, you got basically 11 years in the big leagues that, or sorry, 11 day, uh, uh, innings in the big leagues in 2018 was the adjustment triple A to the big leagues even bigger for you than the double A to triple A or how would you compare them? Um, I think it was, I think, and we're told this all the time in baseball, but we don't ever believe it until we actually live it um you know it's the same game at every level and we need to as pitchers attack with our strengths just as hitters you know try to attack their strengths um and so that that double a to triple a first jump i think i just did it i don't think i really dove into why or how or, or you know really took that time to be prepared on who i was and all of a sudden i got to the big leagues and i've got scouting reports and heat mats heat mats and a lot of these older veteran guys that are kind of taking me under their wings and, and talking about like, you know, you have this crazy stuff. You can be so successful up here. You just learn this, learn that, do this, do that. And I was fortunate to have those guys. And, and I took my level of preparation to a whole nother level because now I was confident in who I was the second time I got back up to the big leagues and I knew how my stuff would play. Whereas the first time with Minnesota, I was just kind of like, not quite sure just going to kind of do what they what they say and, and and hope for the best and when you leave things up to chance like that at the major league level it, it gets exposed quick i'm intrigued so obviously you got up there you got a taste of the big leagues in, in 18 and you really established yourself as a you know big league regular in, in 2019 where you you know you got 52 appearances in the big leagues on top of you know 14 at the start of the season in triple a and one of the things that became readily apparent was that the slider absolutely played at that level. It, it actually ranked as the fourth best slider in baseball, um, you know, which is a, a composite rank. It's a pitch quality metric. Um, and what I, what I thought was really interesting is so you're in the Marlins in 19, and then you go to Colorado for 2020, which is supposedly where breaking balls go to die. And instead, it actually got better. Like slugging percentage went down, you know, expected batting average, expected slugging went down. Um, it, it improved significantly. Exit velocity was down comparatively um, and you even spun it better. So I'm curious, like what is it about your slider a that makes it good and then b what made it sustainable, even as you went to altitude where, you know, people think it's going to get worse. Um, I think what makes my slider a tough pitch for the hitters is one. I have, I have a high release point. I think I'm up there, you know, in, in the top percentage in the league, in terms of release height. So everything that 
that I pulled down from that has a different angle than, you know, a lot of other guys who have a more balanced approach angle. Um, so I'm pulling down on mine and honestly, I, I rip it so hard and it, you know, the velocity on it is, you know, averaging probably 89 to 90 miles an hour. Yeah. 89.4 in, in 2020 up from 88.5 last year. So, right. And so it's, it's, it looks like a fastball for so long. And I think the, the depth that I have on mine is a lot more vertical, like a curveball, rather than horizontal, like a lot of sliders. You'll see that'll move left to right and right to left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a part of my release height being so high and the way that I rip it, almost like I'm ripping a breaking ball and getting that depth on it from that height. Um, I think it, it it challenges guys because when I put it in a good spot and a good situation, it, it's tough for them to pick up. And being able to talk with this past season, guys like, Arenado, Blackman, Story, Murphy, a lot of Matt Kemp, a lot of these guys that I'm facing during summer camp um, and talking about my pitches, it was enlightening for me to hear from them about, man, I can't, when you do this, I have no chance. Or if you do this, I tip my cap, I'm not even swinging. And, and because I can't see this or because you're, you know, it looks this much like a fastball or I thought you were trying to do this. And then you go back and you could throw it to front hip when I'm looking, you know, outer half. And so I really, was able to learn from them, my teammates and having, you know, had some prior success at the major league level. And now it was like, not only do I believe I can do this, but I'm going to do this, you know, get me back out there. I'm ready again. Who's the next team? Who's the next opponent? That's awesome. So I'm, I'm curious, did you have to change your sights going to Colorado with, with it being that kind of pitch? Like, did you feel like it was just hard enough that, you know, in, in more, more than ever, like, I guess, played a little bit like a cutter just in terms of the velocity or did you have to start it lower in the zone? What, what was your mindset at altitude? Was it any different? Yeah, definitely um, a little bit different. It, it's crazy. The altitude up there on what it can do to some pitches, um, harder breaking balls have a better chance of, of mm-hmm. doing what they're intended to do, but it's also a mental warfare with guys because knowing your stuff doesn't move as much can be, you know, very, very tough on you on the mound in a game situation. But what I had to do is I was able to, fortunately, in the summer camp that we had in July, being able to do our second spring training out there, it was a great time for us pitchers because we were able to see our stuff at altitude and how it worked and what it needed. And a lot of times, because I'm not getting as much break on my slider, so I would have to change my sights and I would have to you know, start it higher if I wanted it to be a strike because it wasn't going to break as much. And that, and if it's going to go lower, then I have to kind of creep it up a little bit because if not, it's just going to stay in the dirt the whole time. And so I think the biggest thing was was the sights, learning where to start it and where, you know, to to put it at to, so that I could be in a successful spot because then you go on the road. And that's the other thing, too, about Colorado is now you go on the road and you feel like you're throwing a wiffle ball because the ball the ball is moving so much more than you're used to and having that balance of okay here's where i'm at in colorado here's my sights here's my feel and then going on the road and now here's my new sights i think going back and forth to both extremes was um it really improved my feel for the pitch nice and it's going to be even better next year because you're going to have more dad strength you got kid number two arriving (laughs) here soon so everybody watch out um I'm curious, do you manipulate it differently? Like uh, I know we had Brad Hand on a while ago and Matt, you know, Brad talked about how he can he can take the same slider and just, you know, shape it differently depending on what he's trying to do. Have you gotten to that point or is it it's a hard slider all the time? No, no, definitely. That's something back in twenty seventeen that I was able to to get a grip on. Um and I can be more vertical with it. Um I think about guys with like a, a flat 
playing through um, their motion. A guy like, you know, if you think of Jose Altuve, who mm-hmm. has a longer swing and it's flat and it stays in the zone for a long time. For me, that's a guy that I'm using more depth on my slider because I get mm-hmm. below the barrel. Mm-hmm. And then if you think of a guy, you know, a teammate of his like George Springer, who has a little bit more angle on their swing path, that's a guy that I can go a little bit more horizontal with my slider, knowing that he's going to run out of that, you know, if I go on the outer half. That's interesting. All right, so one one of the perks of of playing for a, a few different teams in a short amount of time, so you were in Minnesota, Miami, and Colorado, you get to observe a lot of different players. Um, you know, some some Minnesota had you know Rogers, and I think Sergio Romo was there then, and you know you had a, a collection of guys that you could see. Obviously, in Miami, you had guys you had you know AJ Ramos and Daniel Bard and you know Wade Davis and Brian Shaw, and you know a lot of guys who have had a lot of success over the years in the bullpen in Colorado. Who are the guys that taught you the most and, and what are some of the lessons that, you know, they taught you that helped you be successful? I think uh, out of the gates, getting to the big leagues of Minnesota, guys like Zach Duke and, and Ryan Presley really, really kind of grabbed me and, and kind of showed me what it took in terms of preparation and in terms of confidence with your stuff, no matter how the day was going or how your last outing went, how important that was. Um and then the same thing with the guys in Miami and the guys in Colorado, you know, Daniel Bard and I struck up a, a real close friendship and a lot of it was on the mental side of things. I had some guys, some friends of mine, they're like, Hey man, stay away from him. He had the yips. Like, you don't, you don't want, you don't want to catch that. Like, you know, stay away. And I was like, no, this guy figured out how to return back to it. Like I'm running to him. Like, Hey, how do we clean up my mental game? How do we do some, some imagery, some vision work, some, some mental thoughts. And you know, having those kind of guys like him and then a guy like Wade Davis, who has, you know, closed out the World Series, punches out, a, you know, New York Met on the inside corner. I remember watching that vividly on a fastball in and, and talking to him about these situations that you get to talk to throughout the game. Um, it's been just tremendous for me because they have so much to share. And it's hard to kind of quantify it or kind of say, hey, here's the, the cliff notes on what they gave me. Yeah. Because a lot of it, it, it's based on a situation where it's like, hey, did you see that right there? Like, that guy did this because of that. You know, that, that's a really good sequence. Or maybe he should have done this. That's why that ball got hit. And, it, and it's just learning on the fly. And it's like, wow, those those eyes and those advanced minds are really working during these games and, and picking it apart. I think sometimes it's just about watching, like, how they go about their business, too. It, it's hard to maybe appreciate it in a day. But when you see it over a season, you start to realize that, you know, those – I mean, it's a, it's a Cressyism, so excuse it, but small hinges swing big doors when you do them over and over and over again. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that is interesting about you, you are, you know, as your, as your injury history would apply, you're naturally a very stiff, high threshold guy, right? You're a guy that, you know, like the jaw clenches, like, you know, you'll take a 10 out of 10, you know, bracing strategy to a, to a dead bug or a bird dog if you're not careful. So I'm curious, like over the years, what training lessons have you learned you know, on this front and how has it impacted your approaches both in the in season and the off season, both from a programming exercise performance standpoint, how do you manage the fact that you're naturally a very stiff guy? Well, it's tough, but it, it, um, it really, I just dive into my routine so hard and I know that I, I have to stick to it. And there's certain days I have to do more, I have to do less, but you know, just like being in the off season with you guys, when, you know, you walk, walk by me three, four times a day easily. And it's like chin down or like relax the neck or, you know, ribs down. And, and it's all stuff that I'm trying to do, but I don't even realize how much tension I've created by, you know, being at such a high threshold, like you've talked about. But I think one of the biggest things for me that I've transitioned 
into over the years is being more aware just of my breath mm-hmm. and take, taking the time to inhale and exhale and, and really slow some things down. Because if not, you know, I'll, I'll be in an inhaled position for so long trying to do so much. And all of a sudden it's, I'm out of breath and I have to exhale mm-hmm. and I can't even catch my breath again. And then, and I think that's been huge for me because it's allowed my dense and stiff body to release some tension and to gain some, some motion. Um, and that's huge throughout the course of a, a major league season. I think the other thing too is like we've you've kind of been able to get away with lifting less over the years. And that's not to say you're not working hard, but when you when you have that you know that ability to tap into high threshold strategies and carry a lot of stiffness, it, it usually correlates to being stronger and more explosive. Um, you know, you kind of have that in your back pocket, so it allows you to you know re you know kind of purpose some of the you know the recovery capacity to med ball stuff, to sprint, change of direction, jump training. Uh, more aggressive throwing programs, you know, mobility work, all that stuff. It just, you realize that you have that in your back pocket and you can tap into it when you need to, but it's probably going to come back faster, you know, at the start of every off season. Right. And and even that's been a transition because now I have to swallow my pride for a little bit and <laughs> I'm not putting up the same weight that I used to, or, or you know, go, jumping as, as much with dumbbells and kettlebells that I used to yeah. prior. And it's because I've learned that, you know, it's going to be there when I need it, but if I take the time to do it right and, and like you guys talk about my form and stuff and, and my breath, you know, then it, it adapts that much quicker. Um, so, but let's talk about like managing workload out of a bullpen. So how, how do you schedule your throwing and your lifting during the season? You know, assuming you're, you know, making 50 plus appearances in the big leagues on a regular basis. Um, I try to keep my daily throwing roughly the same every day that I'll throw in the afternoon. Um, and that is, some days, if it is a little bit less, it's because I've had a high volume the week prior, maybe five out of seven, and I know I've got a day or two that I'm not going to be used. And then that when I, that's when I might lower the volume and, and just play light catch. Um, and then in the weight room, kind of like piggybacking what you were just talking about, being at a high threshold and whatnot, is I do so much pre- and post-game stuff where I'm doing my warm-up, I'm doing my activation, I'm doing some breathing. So then I'm trying to lift you know, after every outing, knowing that if I had a high pitch count tonight, I'm, I'm probably going to be down the next day. Um, maybe more of like a, um, an emergency situation. So if I'm able to, I'll, I'll get a lift in that night, um, knowing that I could potentially have that next day to, to recover. Um, but because doing all that prep stuff prior, I think it, it enhances my volume. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to be in there loading the barbell so much every two days, every three days, because I'm already doing so much, so much body work stuff and, and body weight and moving around that I think it, it really benefits me because I don't need to load as much, you know, as we know, it's a steady, um, you know, fall downwards throughout the season in terms of strength. It's hard to maintain. You're not really rebuilding any strength. So I think the more that I can stick in my routine and preparation and make sure I'm getting in, you know, two to three lifts, even if it's at a lighter volume, um, per week, it allows me to slow down that, um, that path of, of, uh, you know, atrophy essentially. Absolutely. So you, earlier on, you, you hinted at, at reading more when you were hurt. I'm curious what, what books over the years have you come across that have, you know, helped your career, whether it's training, nutrition, pitching mindset, give it, give us a couple of golden ones that really helped you over the years. Um, relentless was a great one. I, I picked that one up and gave it, yeah, Tim Grover gave that to a friend of mine. And he's like, wait, you just got it. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to be done with it today. 
<laughs> and I just, I just spent, you know, 25 bucks on it. I want this to last at least a week or two. Um, and then some of the other, the mental side of game, um, like mind gym was another one that I really enjoyed. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other ones. Those are both good. That's a good start. Yeah, I feel like you've, you've probably covered a ton of training material over the years, just being around the gym and being inquisitive. You even you you even coached at CSP over winter break a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a, you got a, a good uh, you know kind of uh, training history to you. Um, all right, so we're gonna go lightning round. This is uh, like the part at the end where I I throw random stuff at you, and you can give one word answers. You can give a few sentences, whatever you want. But um, this one, I think you kind of answered earlier. What's more important, stuff or command? Ooh. let's go command really i was gonna i thought you'd say stuff especially after like kind of some of the fastball discussion but I, you know I, I wanted to go stuff my instinct was telling me to say stuff but i yeah. think you wanted to be responsible think, <laughs> right i, I want to set the right example by saying command because you do need command it's it's all important right so um favorite teammate of all time and why oh man Favorite teammate? You can go more than one if you need to, so people don't yell at you. Well, let's let's just go with the. I'll, I'll go with two. Um, Curtis Granderson. Ooh, that's a good because point. because Grandy never has had a bad day in his life, mm-hmm. and he he's the the most fun person to be around because he's always smiling, having a great time. Um, and then second, let's go Martin Prado. Wow, pitcher posi- picks two position players. There. Because I I don't feel like I'm a pitcher. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, I I don't feel like I'm analytically and and very, you know, pitcher like. I feel like I'm more of like one of the guys that just wants to go hit the cages. Fair point. All right, so but I happen uh, to be on the mound. <laughs> what what advice would you give to a teenage Tyler Kinley? Oh man, um, not to give up. All right, that's a good one. What about my, my what about minor league Tyler Kinley? Just trust the process because there were some times in there where it looked like there was no no end in sight and a little bit of patience and, and trust in the process got me around the corner. I like it. And then um, what pitchers do you like to watch and why? There's so many I like to watch. Yeah. Um, I'd probably say most I like to watch right now is I love watching Nick Anderson. Nick and I spent, we spent some time together in Minnesota and then Mm -hmm. um, in Miami as well. And it was so comical in the beginning of Nick's career when he was striking out everybody that, you know, watching him more and more. um, I just love it because it's such a simple approach and it's just in your face and it's, it's by you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's pretty unreal numbers for sure too. And a great dude as well. Right. Nice, man. Well, this was awesome. Uh, folks can find you on Twitter. It's at Tyler Kinley 30. Um, really appreciate you taking the time, man. I know, uh, you, you skipped bath time with your, uh, with your boy tonight and I snuck away from bath time as well. So our wives deserve a special shout out for letting us do this tonight. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Nice, man. Well, appreciate. thanks for having me. No sweat. That was a blast. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Definitely. And, And as always, I'll see you at the gym tomorrow. For sure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com.
Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.